This podcast provides audio versions of live webinars. Please see the episode description for a link to the full presentation. Thank you for downloading the webinars podcast from Bitesize Bio, the missing manual for bioscientists. The full version of this webinar can be viewed by navigating to bitesizebio.com slash webinars and clicking on the name of the sponsor, which can be found in the list on the right-hand side of the page. Hello, this is Amanda Welch welcoming you to this Bitesize Bio web seminar which today is sponsored by BD Biosciences. BD Biosciences is one of the world's leading businesses focused on bringing innovative tools to life science researchers and clinicians. Today's presentation is titled, Incorporating New Dyes to Simplify Panel Design, Accelerating Reagent Availability, and is being presented by Dr. Jorg Rohrer, Director of Research Reagents from BD Biosciences. Jorg is a Director of Research and Development at BD Biosciences in San Diego. He received his PhD in molecular microbiology from the University of Cape Town in South Africa. Jörg completed his postdoctoral research training at St. Jude Children's Research Hospital in the laboratory of Mary Ellen Conley, where he studied X-linked immunodeficiencies. Jörg joined BD Biosciences in 2000 as a senior scientist to develop flow cytometry products for immunology research. Jörg's teams are engaged in numerous projects, including efforts to further technical advancements in flow cytometry, like bringing new dyes which enable better multi-parameter flow cytometry to this community. As always, we will have a question and answer session after the presentation, so please type any questions that you have into the questions box, which appears on the right-hand side of your screen, and I'll put them to Jörg at the end. The recording of the webinar will be available at bit.ly slash simplify panel webinar, all one word, lowercase. So now over to you, Jörg, for the presentation. Good morning, everyone. Uh, thanks, Amanda, for the introduction. And that's right, today I want to talk about um, the new dyes that we've launched over the past few years um, and how we want to use them to help everybody simplify panel design. Um, so let's get right into it. I want to start off with a little bit of a historical perspective. This is actually a picture of, of Len Hertzenberg, who was one of the original inventors of flow cytometry. And this is almost 40 years ago, and he's standing next to um, what was then state-of-the-art uh, fax sorting instrument. And of course, over the past 40 years, there's been tremendous technological advancements um, in the field of flow cytometry. And so here what we're looking at is, is our highest-end instrument available right now. It's a custom configurable box with um, options for up to 10 lasers and up to 50 parameters. Um, and it's called the BD Fax Symphony. And so, of course, while there have been advancements on the instrument side, there have been parallel advancements on the fluorochrome or dye side as well. And if we look back historically, back in the 70s, we only really had two dyes to play with, um, and those were organic dyes. And then in the early 80s, we introduced the phycobilly proteins like PE. Um, and shortly after that, <clears throat> a series of tandems that significantly increased the number of parameters that we could actually analyze in flow cytometry. And so that was PE and its tandems, um, and APC and its tandems. And then in the early 2000s, um, QDOTs were made available to the flow cytometry community. And again, they took advantage of a new laser, <clears throat> the violet laser, um, and again, significantly increased the number of parameters analyzable in a flow cytometry experiment. 
So then there was a sort of a pause in dye development and then in the early um, 2010s um, the surgeon polymers or brilliant violet dyes uh, were introduced to the market and while they didn't add additional channels they did provide an alternative to the Q dots um, and then very recently like within the last two years we've launched the brilliant ultraviolet dyes also based on surgeon polymer technology um, and these dyes make full use of the ultraviolet laser so there's an additional six usable parameters of the ultraviolet laser and of course back in the early days um, the dyes helped us distinguish different uh, proteins on the surface of cells um, and we're up to 372 CD markers right now and then as the technology progressed we were able to hook dyes up to antibodies that recognized proteins on the inside of cells so we we're able to do cytokine detection looking at cell signaling or transcription factors um, and so the availability of these fluorochromes and the ability to do more and more parameters per tube has really driven some major advancements in the field of flow cytometry and immunology. But we've run into a problem and so to illustrate that problem I want to use this dye BV480 um, as an example. So this is um, a dye we launched a few months ago and it's an alternate dye to BV510. Um, and it has a few advantages over BV510. The first being that as you can see from the excitation profile here uh, the green being BV510 and the blue being BV480 that it has a lot less excitation of the UV uh, laser so a lot less cross laser excitation meaning a lot less impact because of uh, spillover and spread then there's also a very different emission curve or profile and you can see that there'll be a lot less spillover into the BV tandems and lastly this dye um, on the whole tends to be brighter than BV510. So we've launched this new dye um, and even though we furiously try and put out as many new antibody dye combinations that we can, in fact hundreds of new combinations a year, we're actually not able to keep up with all of the different permutations that we'd very much like to put out there um, that enable easy panel design. So to highlight that problem we have a very simple mouse dendritic cell panel um, that we're going to use as an example here. So it's really six markers that we're using to define uh, three um, dendritic cell populations and then we have a lineage channel and dead cell um, dump channel which we'll get into just now. So just showing you here the first two markers are CD11C and MHC class 2 and they are highly expressed on conventional dendritic cells um, but intermediate to low expression on plasmacytoid dendritic cells but because of co-expression we're really concerned about spillover um, so we chose BV421 and BV515 that are two of the brightest dyes out there off of the violet and the blue laser respectively so there should be no um, spillover impacts for CD11B and CD8 the next two markers um, they have intermediate expression and of course they're co-expressed on these cells so we chose PE and APC as two dyes that are excited off of two additional lasers the yellow green and the red and lastly B220 um, off the ultraviolet laser using BUV737 so five markers five different lasers really no impact from spillover and for GR1 we chose the bright dye PECF594 and it's also off the yellow green laser because you can see 
where we might be concerned about the PE and the PECF594, there's no co-expression. This is on conventional dendritic cells of the myeloid lineage versus plasmacytoid dendritic cells. And then lastly, we have PERCYP5.5 on the CD3 and CD19 positive cells coupled with 7AAD. And as I was saying, those cells would be excluded from the analysis. So put together this panel, I want to just very briefly take a look at how it stains. So you can clearly see that you're able to isolate your conventional dendritic cells using 11C and MHC class 2, and then further distinguish your lymphoid and myeloid lineages. And similarly, you can identify your plasmacytodendritic cells in a pregate with 11C versus B220, and then again with GR1 further define those plasmacytodendritic cells. So we're very happy with the way this panel works. But of course, as always happens in science, um, you know, it progresses. And either through work in one's own lab or through the literature, turns out that there's additional markers that you would like to put into the panel. Um, and in this particular example, we're looking at three additional markers that we'd like to drop in here. CD4, 172A, and CLEC 12A. Um, and because we put a lot of effort into the design of the base panel and the base panel works really well, we'd much prefer to continue using that base panel and really just drop those three markers on top of that base panel. So if you go to suppliers' websites and look for reagents that will work with the existing panel, let's take a look at mouse CD4 availability. We see that actually there's excellent coverage um, and that's with the existing products out there, we're able to choose, for example, a BV480 that we could drop into the panel. But unfortunately, the picture is very different for mouse CD172A, where what's available is a FTC, a PE, and an APC. And actually, a very similar story for CLEC 12A. What's available is a 421, a PE, and an APC. And because these um, options are already covered in the panel, you either have to redesign the panel to make room for these specificities or you might be pressed to order a custom conjugate that specifically fits into um, your panel. And so neither of these options is really ideal and this is the problem that we're trying to address um, and I'd like to talk about today. So there's a very simple cartoon here that kind of highlights the problem. If we look back a few years to before we had surrogate polymers or brilliant dyes. We have what are calling the traditional fluors, FTC, PE, the tandems. We had about 900 antibody clones in our catalog. And at that time, we had about 5,000 unique um, reagents. And that was almost 50% coverage um, of the total number of permutations. And then over the past few years, we you know, have launched significantly more dyes into the market space. Um, and so you can see the number of possible permutations has jumped up to around 26,000. Um, and even though we're putting out hundreds of new combinations every year, we've only reached about 7,000, which is equivalent to around 25% uh, um, of the possible permutations. And so what that's done is it's just left a significant set of gaps in the reagent portfolio over here. And that's what makes it so difficult to design optimal panels because, um, f you know, for individuals that really want to take advantage of the brighter, brilliant dyes, 
um, to design optimal panels, a lot of times those um, options of a particular antibody with a particular dye are just not available. And so that's what really started um, the discussion internally about this new product line OptiBuild. And the idea here was that it was going to provide a true freedom of choice when it came to designing panels. Um, really no limitations around um, the reagents that you could use to build an optimal panel. So what is OptiBuild? Um, right now it's going to encompass all of the cell surface markers that we have um, and the products are delivered through what we call an on-demand manufacturing process. And so what does on-demand mean? It's really when, when the order is placed for a particular combination, that product is made immediately, specifically for um, that customer request. And so it's almost like a custom product. Now to be able to do that, we really had to develop an extremely robust uh, both QC testing and validation method for all of the dyes that are in the program and all of the antibodies in the program so that when we coupled a dye to an antibody we were very very sure that that was going to work reproducibly well um, and so that means that we don't have to do conjugate flow testing during our manufacturing process um, so these custom reagents, we're able to put them into the catalog. They can be ordered like a standard catalog item. They come at a fixed mass size of 50 micrograms. And the really important thing is that they're ready to ship within 72 hours, even though this is very much like a custom product. So back in March of this year, we launched the first 900 um, new reagents. This would be, you know, brand new specificities with no overlap to the current catalog. Um, it covered just less than 250 antibodies. It included all of those brilliant violet dyes and the brilliant ultraviolet 395. So I'd like to spend the next few slides just describing some of the work that went into ensuring that this optimal type reagent was just as good as the standard reagent um, that we currently offer. So the first piece I'm going to talk about is clone performance. What do I mean by clone performance? So we needed to make sure that every single clone in the OptiBuild program was going to work. So how do we go about ensuring that that's actually true? So in this example we're looking at mouse CD11B and the staining is on viable bone marrow cells. And our control is an existing reagent, a PE conjugate of CD11B, and that's what that staining profile looks like at the optimal concentration of 0.06 micrograms per test. And down below here, we have an OptiBuild BV421 version of that same clone. Um, and whenever we test a new reagent, we always do a titration series, which is what's shown here, starting at 1 microgram per test. Um, and going all the way down to 0.03 micrograms per test. And for those that are more familiar with dilutions, it's from a 1 in 20 down to a 1 in 640 dilution. Um, and in this instance, looking for the uh, optimal concentration, it's um, at 0.03. That's where the stain index, or what SI stands for, um, is the greatest, and potentially below that. So, you know, from this type of analysis, we analysis we can see that the OptiBuild reagent identifies the cell population of interest, the staining profile looks very similar to the PE and so we would say that this clone works in this OptiBuild um, you know, manufacturing process. Similarly we're looking at mouse CD184 and instead of the bone marrow this time we're looking at uh, viable thymocytes 
again we have a PE control and again if you take a look at the BV421 optibuild version of this clone you can see that the staining profile looks very similar and at one microgram per test we have a stain index of H which we thought was um, the appropriate optimal concentration for this antibody. We hope you're enjoying this episode of Listen In from Bite Size Bio. To access the visuals of this webinar, please see the episode description for a link to the full presentation. And lastly, I just have an example here of human CD19 um, on lysed whole blood. Again, a PE control to compare it to. And if we look at the titration series, we can see that this particular clone, a BV421, um, at 0 0.06 micrograms um, stains B cells in lysed whole blood very nicely um, and looks very similar to the human CD19. So through all of the testing that we've done, we've seen that the optimal concentration for our optibuild reagents is somewhere between 0.25 and 0.125 micrograms per test or about 200 to 400 tests per 50 micrograms um, of reagent in the vial. So this is what every single clone gets subjected to. It gets tested in this manner to ensure that it'll work with the OptiBuild program. Alright, so the next question was around diet choices. So in an ideal state, we would love to have every antibody and every dye combination available. But in reality, of course, that just doesn't work out. Um, and in fact, the biggest predictor of whether a certain antibody dye combination will work or not is how well that antibody stains its target cells. And if that staining is dim, then logically using a dim dye is, you know, there's a good chance it's not going to work. And so we need to figure out a way to exclude certain antibody dye combinations from this product offering. So I wanted to just show you a few examples. This one is, is a dim stain. It's for mouse CD197 and it's actually on activated spleen cells counterstained with CD25. And if we look at the BV421, so one of the brightest dyes here, we're able to distinguish this population of cells up here. So that's what we're trying to do. Now if you make an optibuild version of this clone using BUV395, which is a dimmer um, brilliant dye, you can see that while the dye is trying to do its thing, or the reagent, it's, it's not as good as the BV421 control that we're using. And even if you use a, a brighter dye like BV711, that staining profile is just not as good as we would like it to be. And so in this instance, um, those two combinations would not be made available in the program because we feel that the staining profile is not good enough. An interesting example here is mouse CD244, and so this staining is actually on lac cells. Um, the counter stain is NK1.1, and again we're looking at BV421, <clears throat> and we're very nicely able to distinguish the cells shown here in the upper right quadrant. Now if you compare that to BUV395, you see that actually even though it's a dimmer dye, the resolution of that population of cells is actually just as good as BV421. And so... <clears throat> we are able to use this particular combination in the OptiBuild program. So the important point here is that as we test all of the clones, we're able to see which ones are brighter, which ones are dimmer. And for the dimmer ones, to make sure that they're going to work on all of the different dye options, we actually test each combination before we feel comfortable putting it into the 
OptiBuild program, let's say. So we know that we have a way of testing the clones. We know that we have a way of ensuring that the right clone die combinations are put out there. So what about performance of these OptiBuild reagents compared to what we call the BD Horizon branded product line, which is the products that are currently out in the market? So in these comparisons, we're always looking at a Horizon product on the top line versus the OptiBuild product on the bottom line. And I should say that this data here is really just to help us understand is the performance of an OptiBuild reagent equivalent to the performance of a Horizon reagent. In reality, we would never have both of these products available in the catalog. It'll either be one or the other. <clears throat> in this case, we're looking at mouse CD25 on spleen cells. Um, and you can see that these you know, CD25 positive cells here versus here, the staining profiles are very similar for OptiBuild. Um, here we're looking at CD31 in the bone marrow, counterstained with B220. Um, and again, those two staining profiles look very similar. Um, and here we're looking at CD184, <coughs> excuse me, in um, mouse thymocytes, counterstained with CD4. And again, we have very similar staining profiles, which gives you know a lot of testing done on way more than just these three clones to give us confidence that uh, the OptiBuild clones will behave as nicely as the uh, regular BD Horizon products. Um, we also have some examples here of, of human staining. So this is looking at CD28 on lymphocytes. Again, BD Horizon on the top and BD OptiBuild on the bottom. This is CD14 staining of monocytes and we see very similar staining profiles. And then we have CD33 staining of monocytes and granulocytes. And you can see again between the OptiBuild and BD Horizon type products that the staining profiles are very similar. So a lot of confidence that these two different um, processes land up giving reagents that perform in very similar manner. So of course one big question we had was are we able to reproducibly make um, these products, right? Because each product is made individually when that um, request for a product comes in. So we spent a lot of time um, ensuring, a lot of time in testing, I should say, ensuring that this was actually true. So what do I mean by batch-to-batch -batch consistency and what do we typically do to show that we do have consistency between batches? So this is just an example of some BD Horizon branded products. Um, we're looking at, here's a FTSE CD4, a Brilliant Blue 515 CD4, a BV480 CD4, and a BUV496 CD4. So all of them are CD4, four different dyes, and these are different batches that we're looking at. And the batches could be, um, you know, it was a different batch of antibody that was used with the same batch of dye, a different batch of dye with the same antibody, or both um, antibody and dye were different, right? So mixing it up a little bit. And you can see that, you know, just lining up the CD4 positive lymphocytes, that there's really good consistency between all of the batches. And so that's typically how we um, try and understand what batch-to-batch -batch variability looks like. So for the BD OptiBuild products, we're looking at the same kind of pattern here. Um, we've got three batches. We have CD4 and CD19. Um, this is looking at human lysed whole blood. Um, on several different dyes, BV421, 605, 711, and then BUV395. And again, I think you can see um, from the images 
that there's extremely good batch-to-batch -batch consistency. Uh, likewise on the mouse side, here we're looking at CD28 um, and CD8 staining and you can see again that between the three different batches there's very little variability from batch to batch so great consistency um, and again after a lot of testing giving us a lot of confidence that we can reproducibly um, make these batches so that they perform consistently over time. Alright so how do we think this BD OptiBuild reagent program is going to work. You know what? What is it going to do for us? So I have a few examples that sort of illustrate the power that this technology um, is going to bring to the reagents that we have. So before BD OptiBuild, we had BD Horizon products in the catalog, and for this particular example, Human CD21, we had a BV421 and a BV711 available to us. If we were designing panels, those were the only two choices we had. So once we went live with BD OptiBuild, um, we have an additional five reagents to choose from. So this significantly simplifies panel design. If you're designing a, a multicolor panel, you know the, the increase in the number of choices that you have definitely helps in being able to design that panel. Um, and another thing to point out is that the OptiBuild reagents um, do just as well as the standard reagents in identifying that B cell population have another example here of human CD11B. So prior to OptiBuild these were the four um, options that were available and then through OptiBuild we're able to fill these gaps um, with those three additional choices, right? And again the staining profiles look very similar to the reagents that were on the market prior to OptiBuild. On the mouse side we have an NK cell marker KLRG1. We have three options available um, before OptiBuild and then OptiBuild was able to fill in the gaps again um, with reagents that recognize those NK cells um, and again just giving one a much greater freedom with respect to choice of reagents to put into your panels. So we feel like this is very powerful um, and will really help enable easier panel design. One of the examples, the CD21, um, actually helps highlight another point that I wanted to make. So CD21 I think is, is mostly used on B cells and it's a, a higher antigen density on B cells so we expect it to work well with all of the dyes. But it is also expressed on a subset of T cells at a very low um, density. So what does that mean from a dye choice perspective? Well if we go back to that data um, and we counter stain with CD19 you can see that in each case doesn't matter which option you choose the B cells are easily recognized with the CD21 reagent. doesn't matter which dye we're using. But if you happen to be interested in that small population of T cells um, where the antigen density is a lot lower, then a bright dye like BV421 is able to pull out those cells. A dim dye like BV510 would not be able to do that. And that's, you know, it's very logical, but it does remind us to be very mindful of the biology. And so understanding what the antigen density is or how well the antibody stains your particular um, cells of interest is really important in being able to make an informed decision around what antibody dye combination is going to work best for your application. Alright, so <clears throat> obviously we want um, these reagents to work in multicolor staining panels. That's really 
the main goal. And so we, you know, did a lot of testing toward the end to show that these reagents work equivalently um, in panels. Um, one reminder here is that whenever you're using two or more brilliant dyes together, um, we highly recommend using brilliant stain buffer. So it's a very simple example here. We have um, a seven color T-cell panel. So we have CD3 to pull out the T-cells. We have CD8 versus CD4. And then on the CD8s, we're looking at um, naive and memory cells using CD27 and CD45RA. And then on the CD4s, we're interested in identifying the Tregs using CD25 versus CD127. And this panel was built using BD Horizon branded reagents exclusively. And what we did was we then substituted two of those reagents for OptiBuild reagents. And I think you can see by looking at the, uh, the images here, um, comparing this one to this one is virtually identical and this one to this one is virtually identical. So um, through a lot of additional testing, we're able to show that these reagents work just as well as the other reagents in panel design. So I felt really comfortable that um, this optimal process was going to work well for us and was really going to enable us to fill a lot of the portfolio gaps that we currently have in our portfolio. So we're back to this cartoon illustrating the problem that we have and back in March when we launched the first series of OptiBuild products it really started filling in the gaps. So we, we started with around 250 antibodies and those first seven dyes. And so how does that impact the panel that we were trying to build? So let's go back and take a look at that. This is where we were at before OptiBuild. After OptiBuild all of a sudden we have a significant number of um, increased choices to choose from in our panel design. And the same is true for CLEC 12A when it launches um, in a few months time in the OptiBuild program. We'll have all of these choices available to us as well. And so of course if we're now trying to incorporate these markers into our panel it makes it a lot easier. We don't have to change what we're doing with the base panel and we can make some you know, informed choices about those um, options that are available to us. And so for CD4, which is highly expressed um, on both um, some of the conventional and the plasma cytodendritic cells, we can use a dimmer marker like BV480 off the violet laser. CLEC12A, which is um, more lowly expressed, we're using a brighter dye like BV711 also off the violet laser. And then CD172A, which is highly expressed on the myeloid um, conventional dendritic cells, we're using BUV395. So if we incorporate those into our panel, just briefly want to take a look at the data and see if that works. We've got this plot in front of us that shows you the myeloid den um, dendritic cells versus the lymphoid dendritic cells and our plasma cytoid dendritic cells. And then if you take a look at the expression of those additional three markers on those three subpopulations of DCs, you can see that we're able to distinguish differing expression on the different populations. So this, in this case, worked, worked really well for us. And that is the power um, of the OptiBuild program, right? You have a panel that needs designing. Perhaps you already have a core panel. It makes incorporating additional markers into that panel significantly easier. It makes designing a panel from scratch significantly easier. So, 
currently we have these additional 900 reagents um, in our catalog and over the past few months we've been working really really hard to expand the OptiBuild program on the antibody axis and so in the October November time frame the goal is to launch an additional 2,000 about 2,000 new specificities um, and really want to emphasize that these are unique combinations of antibodies and dyes so there's no overlap with the existing catalog these are really brand new reagents that'll significantly simplify panel design um, we'll be using the same seven dyes um, that were launched uh, back in March and these antibodies you know they cover mouse um, rat and human immunology right and if you happen to be interested in those clones um, at the BD OptiBuild website we have a uh, coming soon tab feel free to check that out so what happens after that well once these clones are qualified in the OptiBuild program it becomes relatively easy to expand whenever we launch new dyes and earlier on I'd mentioned BV480 as a dye that we'd launched a few months back and BV750 is another um, dye off the violet laser that was launched just last week and so in mid 2017 we anticipate launching these two dyes on all of the OptiBuild qualified clones and then of course the you know um, future work we really want to fill in the brilliant ultraviolet matrix so to expand out um, the reagent choices on the ultraviolet laser and then an interesting point just to make is that as we launch new antibodies those new antibodies will be available on multiple dyes um, when they come out to the market um, so new clones you know identified for new for new biological purposes um, will be available in, in many colors right off the bat again just enabling um, much easier panel design so the idea with OptiBuild is to simplify panel design ultimately resulting in the building of you know more robust panels that um, will gain deeper biological insights so with that I very much want to thank the R&D team that has spent um, the better part of, of two years now um, working on making sure that this was going to be a very robust product line for us and then of course toward the end um, we relied heavily on a series of collaborators and beta testers out there that gave us some really really nice feedback um, on how these reagents worked in their particular applications so with that um, I am happy to take any questions I want to thank you for your attention thanks Jörg that was an excellent presentation we have a few questions from the audience if anyone else has a question please feel free to post it in the questions box that appears on the right of your screen so our first question comes from John and they ask um, which kind of dinner samples do you have for the lot to lot testing sorry which kind of what samples I didn't um, donor samples is what they oh, ask donor samples so depends if it's if it's human um, the donor samples are typically lysed whole blood unless the marker is a specific activation marker in which case we would activate um, PBMC's uh, sometimes we do our testing on human bone marrow sometimes we do it um, on a disease sample or a cell line for mouse we have several different um, tissues you know we yeah and it's 
different strains of mice in some instances, but I'm guessing by the word donor you mean humans. So hopefully that answers the question. Great. And then um, we have a question about the size. So are OptiBuild products sold at test size? No, so OptiBuild products are all sold at a 50 microgram size. Every single product is the same, 50 micrograms. And so what, what that means is that when researchers receive the products, they will need to titrate to determine the optimal concentration in their particular application. So I think for people doing mouse research, that's not a big change, right? Because currently the mouse reagents are sold at a bulk size um, or a mass size. But for folks that are familiar with um, human reagents that are sold in test size, this might be a little bit different. Okay. And then we have a question about the um, Brilliant Horizon UV dyes. Um, do you know when those are going to be launched into OptiBuild? So that's, you know, once we've gone through the antibody expansion and the launching of the Brilliant Violet 480 and 750, that's the very next thing on the agenda. And I, I don't have a firm date for when that'll be in the market just yet, but it, um, it's extremely high on our priority list, yeah. Okay. Just, just. Sorry, I thought you had something no. to more. Okay, and then um, we have a question about what um, what is the lot-to-lot -lot variation like? So the lot-to-lot -lot variation is actually no no different to what we um, currently expect from our standard products, um, and in the examples that I showed there, that's we're talking about plus or minus ten percent with respect to. Um, you know, batch one to batch two to batch three. Um, in some instances, we've seen sometimes up to 20% variation from batch to batch. But again, that's within the, the current um, variation that we have for our, our standard or BD Horizon branded products. Okay. And I think we have one more question. So, yeah. oh, and this one's from Naveen. So what fax instruments would be compatible with the BV and the um, BUV dyes? So um, for the BV dyes you need an instrument that has a violet laser um, and for the BUV dyes you need an instrument with a 355 nanometer laser um, and that's that's important optimal excitation with a 355 nanometer laser um, and then of course the, the, the appropriate filter sets to capture both the base polymers that would be like a BV421, a BV480, a BV510, or tandems like BV605, 650, 711, 786. Okay, and then um, so are all OptiBuild products QC tested and is there um, data available? So no, not all OptiBuild products are QC tested. Um, so that's why we, we basically needed to identify a technology that gave us a very, very robust way of coupling dye to antibody. Um, and that's why we also put an inordinate amount of effort into testing to make sure that when we did that, we were going to get a product that worked reproducibly well. Fantastic. And we have one last question about the time it takes for the product to be shipped from the time that you order it. So how long would it take? So it's, you know, the product is ready to ship within 72 hours, but it depends whether you're in the U.S. or not. So if you're in the U.S., then it would ship within 72 hours. 
but if you're outside of the US, um, uh, then it's it's going to take longer, you know, because it has to get shipped to one of our centers in in let's say Europe, for example, and then from there shipped out to the customer. That makes sense. Okay, well, I think that yeah, that's the last question. So that brings okay. us to the end of the seminar. So thank you again, Jörg, for a very illuminating presentation and a great discussion. And thanks also to our sponsor, BD Biosciences. And finally, thanks to you, thanks to you, the audience, for taking the time to attend and listen in. If you've enjoyed the seminar and would like to view the video recording of the session, please visit the seminar's page on bitesizebio.com. It should be available within the next 24 hours. There you can also see the other webinars we have lined up for you on BiteSizeBio. So until next time, good luck in your research and goodbye from all of us at BD Biosciences and BiteSizeBio. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed the webinar. To view the full video version of this and all of our other webinars, please visit bitesizebio.com slash webinars. Finding the right mentor can make all the difference in your research journey. But what if you don't have one? Look no further than Mentors at Your Benchside, the podcast that offers curated advice from experienced researchers on lab skills, techniques, and career progression. With short, easy-to-access episodes, you can get the help you need to succeed in the lab. Visit bitesizebio.com forward slash podcasts or search for Mentors at Your Benchside in your podcast app to subscribe and get help and advice from seasoned scientists.